Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Here comes Boston on the run. Here's Crawford on the drive. Scores it. Again, that Boston quickness running the floor. Terry with the miss. But there's Bradley making jumpers, playing defense, and now offensive rebounding. Avery Bradley is a defender, but you're not expecting him to score 22 points, I'm sure. No, not at all. But, uh, you know, that's what he's been doing for this team. He's spotting up, making the open shots. He's running their team. He's playing great. It's the Celtics beat with Ty Reddy. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Celtics Beat. Ty Ray in for Daniel Baker. I'll be joined in a moment by my co-host, Rich Conti. This is a special pregame edition leading up to Game 4 of the Celtics-Knicks, tipping off in about one hour. Celtics down 3-0 in the best-of-seven series. Is it going to be the final game for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce in TD Garden today, or is this the start of the greatest NBA playoff comeback in history. On today's show, we're going to be joined in 15 minutes by Taylor Amarsino, the blogger for the Knicks website, Mellowship of the Ring. Taylor and his family have been longtime Knicks fans, so they've been suffering for a while. You've got to figure the Knicks haven't made the not not made the playoffs, but haven't won an NBA title since 1973, so they've been waiting quite some time to see success uh, in the playoffs, we're going to talk to Taylor, and then at the bottom of the hour, we'll start to take your calls. Just get your feelings on the series so far, and if the Celtics have any fight left in them. Now, let me get to my partner on today's show on Celtics Speed pregame edition, Rich Conti. And Rich, you and I haven't talked since what last Sunday? Celtics lose yeah, three straight games, and I'm surprised. You know, I thought for sure we'd be talking about a split at least by this point, Celtics up two games to one, but never in a million years did I think the Celtics would be down three games to none. Yeah, it's been a tough week to be a Celtics fan, that, that's for sure. And, um, you know, the series seemed to start out with a little bit of promise uh, for the Celtics. You know, they they looked so good in the in the first half of, of Game 1, and really the first half of Game 2 as well. And, and uh, both of those games, of course, didn't, uh, you know, turn out as well in the, in the second half. And then those that second half struggles from Game 1 and 2 really seemed to pretty much carry over for the entirety of Game 3. I thought that was uh, one of their more disappointing performances in a long time. We've always said that the Celtics had a huge advantage when it came to coaching. Doc Rivers, nobody better in the game than Doc at making adjustments. I'm going to give Mike Woodson some credit because in both games, 1 and 2 in particular, the Celtics had no answers for them in the second half. And my hat goes off to Mike Woodson, who was a great coach in Atlanta and is doing an incredible job with the Knicks. Yeah, you know, I think uh, Woodson's biggest strength, I think the thing he's done best during his tenure with the Knicks is really be that guy to get through to Carmelo Anthony and and to a similar extent, uh, J.R. Smith. Um, You know, maybe not consistently, maybe, uh, you know, they they, they still backslide into that uh, me first hero ball game, but he does seem to have an ability to uh, communicate with those guys and get them to understand the the, the value of sharing the ball. And, And the Knicks are a very, very good offensive team. Uh, 
when they are playing that way and sharing the ball. They are um, not as good an offensive team and, and eminently beatable when Carmelo and, and J.R. Smith, uh, you know, try to play one-on-one and, and beat the opponent by themselves. You know, those guys can make difficult shots, but if you're the opponent, those are the shots you want them to take because, you know, man, if they, if they can hit those on a consistent basis, tip your cap to them. But, you know, uh, history and, and, and statistics say that they're not likely to. So that's, that's as, a, as an opponent, that's what the, the type of game you want to get them into. And, you know, Woodson, to his credit, has been able to focus them, particularly in the second half of, of game one and two, uh, to get them to, to kind of play the right way. I didn't know that he had had such an impact on J.R. Smith because the J.R. Smith that I see playing now on the court, although let's throw out Friday night where he elbows Jason Terry in the face, which was just stupid on his part, J.R. Smith is not the same player that he was with the Nuggets. He's impressed me with his his shot-making ability, but also just more so his poise on the court, even though he lost it uh, the other night in game for no reason. Uh, what, the Knicks were up by, what, 16 points when he elbowed Jason Terry in the in the face? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that, that's the classic case of the Bulls feeling good about themselves and, you know, taking advantage of it and thinking they can get away with anything that was completely uncalled for. And, you know, listen, he's, he's definitely not the same player he was back in those days, but I think he's the same guy. I think the difference is, you know, as I mentioned, Woodson seems able to get through to him at times and, and focus him on using, you know, the, the, the skills that he's always shown, um, you know, to, uh, you know, be more productive and, and to fit within the team concept that, at times, but those underlying tendencies are, are still there. You can still see them, you know, when he you know gets into that mode where he's you know jacking up shots. I, I think uh, J.R. Smith's uh, favorite uh, part of playing in the NBA is when somebody passes him the ball with the uh, shot clock winding down because that almost gives him uh, license to 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 do what he ultimately wants to do, which is go one on one. And you know, he's still the same guy in that you know he. he loses his cool, easy to get him out of his game. But, you know, again, to, to Woodson's credit, he's able to keep him focused enough and or, you know, uh, contain the damage he does when he gets out of focus um, to turn him into a much more productive player. And, and heck, you can't argue with the uh, with the choice of him as the uh, sixth man of the year this year. And for those of you who don't know, he was suspended for today's game. And, Rich, you just wrote a column on that for CLNS Radio. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the impact of that suspension is. You know, on the one hand, he's clearly the Knicks' second most uh, potent offensive threat behind Carmelo. He's a guy that you have to focus defensive attention on, and, you know, that obviously has an impact um, on the other guys on the court. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, at the same time, you know, he's that guy you can bait into playing hero ball and, and play right into the Celtics' hands. And when the Celtics have had success, particularly defensively in this series, it's when they've been able to, um, uh, let's just say, encourage Smith and, and Carmelo to uh, revert to their natural tendencies to be ball stoppers and, and one-on-one players. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think I could go either way on, on the impact it's going to have on, on the game. I could see it, um, you know, obviously hurting the Knicks, but in, in other ways, if that's more court time for unselfish guys like, Kid and, and Prigioni that have been really underrated um, elements of the Knicks' success in this series, you know, it, it might be a bad thing for the Celtics. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll find out. Let's get back to the Celtics and what they've been doing offensively, which is some of the worst offensive basketball. Well, hell, it may be the worst offensive basketball I've ever seen in the KG era. The second half struggle, struggles are, are I'm just mind-boggling with the good shooters they have on that team in Pierce and 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 Jeff Green and Jason Terry. Although I'm starting to wonder if Jeff, uh, Jason Terry's shot has just completely left him uh, at this point, only averaging what seven points a game in the series. So, what do they have to do, Rich, in your opinion, to get back on track? They just seem so completely out of sync in this series. Yeah, there was a, a soundbite with Doc Rivers in the huddle on Friday night um, that, you know, I, I think really accurately reflects um, the situation and what they need to do. He was saying, you know, kind of paraphrasing him that, hey, you're getting the shots. You're just missing them. You know, you have to have, you know, you have to stick with the defense to keep you in the game until those shots start to drop. Um, you know, the, the popular narrative with the TNT and ESPN folks has been that, you know, the Knicks defense has kind of thrown the Celtics 
um, out of sorts. And, you know, I, I do have to give the Knicks credit for the active hands and all the deflections and strips they've shown on defense. But other than that, I mean, the, the Celtics are getting shots. You know, they're, they're getting shots that are eminently makeable, particularly for guys like Pierce and KG and, you know, even Avery Bradley and, and some other folks, Jason Terry's missed layups. Um, you know, the beginning of, of game three was just kind of this uh, uh, uncomfortable harbinger of what the rest of the game would be. Where, <laughs> so true. You know, they, they, they ran their set, they, they got great looks inside, and they blew something like three or four straight layups. Yeah, you had, and, you had Pierce missing at the rim, and then KG gets the offensive rebound, and he misses, and you're like, here we go again. Yeah, and, you know, I get the argument that sometimes, you know, um, those are shots that maybe, you know, that you're getting shots that may look open, but they're shots the defense wants you to take because they're ones that, you know, they've scouted you, they're outside your comfort zone, and they're encouraging you to, to take them. And, heck, I've used that argument in terms of how the Celtics play defense on uh, Kobe Bryant in particular, but I don't think that argument really holds up to close inspection when, when you watch what's going on. I mean, you look at the beginning of Game 3, heck, you look at the start of the second half of game two and go back and watch those first, you know, five or six possessions for each team, right? The Celtics got wide open, easy shots each time down court and missed them. And then the Knicks, I think in, in game two at, at coming out of halftime, they started out with um, kind of two corner threes by um, Shumpert, which, you know, they were open shots, but you know, if, if there's a non-shooter on the floor for the Knicks, it's Shumpert, right? Right. And, th- and then they came down, I think the next three or four possessions and just hit crazy circus shots. I think Felton hit one, um, Carmelo hit a couple and, you know, it's, it's, they they just didn't you know they they didn't weather the storm they didn't keep their spirit intact defensively and you know things just snowballed and you know to me it's it's kind of a culmination of who they've been since 2008 yeah you we had talked about that off the air and this team doesn't have the depth or the scoring ability or the um, talent just the talent level to do what some of those teams in the KG area or other era have done where they've been able to overcome these huge offensive funks. They don't have that in them with this team. Yeah, and yeah, I mean you you go back to 08 and just look at the identity of this team and how it's been constructed and they've never been a team that, you know, overwhelmed um opponents with the the conventional uh, notions of of talent and athleticism, right? They're not they're not a Miami Heat. Right. Um you know, they're they're not even, you know, the 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 Lakers of 0809 and 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 2010 with with Kobe and Gasol. What they were was a team that that always walked this this tightrope of of confidence, focus, execution and precision. And you know, when they were on that tightrope they're a damn good team even now, um, and when they're not, they just look terrible. E- even going back to 2008, sure, you had KG, Pierce, and Allen still relatively at their peaks, and so when they were balanced on that tightrope and, and things were working, I mean, they just absolutely destroyed teams. I remember that game early in, in um, well, late in two th- calendar 2007, early in the 2007-2008 season, where they beat, they were up on Denver by 50-something points. I mean, right. that was, they just had, you know, they had the ability to do that to teams, and they did still fall off that tightrope at times, and they, they would become beatable. I remember stretches, particularly on, like, the West Coast strings where they would drop three out of four or four out of five or, or win a couple of squeakers, but they had enough overall that they were still, you know, competitive. Now, you know, with, with the big three, now the big two, and, and kind of shells of themselves and Rondo out of the, the lineup, when they're on that tightrope, you know, as they were for, for long stretches in last year's playoffs, or as they were kind of, um, you know, during that six-week run in the middle of the season, they're still a competitive team and can really play with anybody. They're not going to overwhelm you like they, they, they could in 08, but they can still compete. But on the flip side, it's just so easy for them to fall off that tightrope now, and, and it's so much harder for them to climb back on it uh, when they aren't. And when they aren't on it, it's it's just impossible for them to compete. They're they're at the point where if if the parts are working, the the, the pieces all click in place, they can be a contending team. But it's just so challenging to get those pieces to click into place and stay there consistently. You know whether it's you know something you know with an injury uh, messing with the rotation and them getting out of sorts, or whether it's something an opponent does 
um, schematically that, that, that throws them off of their game. It just puts them in these funks and it's just never been more evident, particularly on offense right now. And it's, 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 it's ugly to watch, but in a way um, it kind of makes you appreciate what the Celtics built in 08 and, and what they've been kind of in this era that it's a team that just won as much on discipline and precision and smarts as, as they did on skill and athleticism. And right now they've been struggling for a long time, Rich. And I've tried to tell people that they were at a high point in the season, 36 and 29, seven games over 500. And I thought the team had really flipped the switch and had everything working. Now I realized that, KG's been hurt, and Pierce has been bothered by nagging injuries, and the team has been in a funk. They're five and fourteen since that time, thirty-six and twenty-nine, five and fourteen, and haven't put back-to-back wins together in over a month. So this team has been in a funk for quite some time, and maybe we saw some signs of this uh, in late March when this all started to come about. This team really didn't have the firepower to contend. I feel really silly now, Rich, talking about the debates we were having about who would you rather see in the first round, Miami, Indiana, uh, New York, and who would have thought that the result would be the Knicks, the team that everybody wanted the Celtics to play, and here they are facing a 3-0 deficit, and history tells us that no team has ever come from behind to win an NBA playoff series down three games to none, which I find kind of interesting in itself when you consider all the seven-game series in the history of the NBA, how many great players have played, that no team has been able to do that. Any idea why you think that's the case? Well, I think you know the NBA um, is different than a lot of sports. I'd probably... Um you know, NHL is probably most similar in that I think it's really hard, um, you know, when you've got two quality teams, you know, I mean, generally, if you make the playoffs, you know, you're, you're certainly in the, in, you know, in the top half of the league or the top third of the league. Um, and it's just too hard to beat another quality team for various reasons, for schematic reasons, for uh, reasons of, of, of effort and, 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 um, you know, the amount, you know, players are willing to put in on, on a consistent basis and how people react when they're, you know, ahead in a series versus behind in a series. It's just too too hard to beat a team, you know, four times in a row. Whereas, you know, obviously the, the, the classic example for Boston fans of a team digging themselves out of an 0-3 hole are the Red Sox in 0-4. Um, and if you look at how that happened – you can see how it, it, it baseball lends itself to that happening. You know, you, you you win one, you get on a roll, you start to get some confidence, and more importantly, you get good pitching performances. And pitching, um, you know, really has such a huge impact game to game on what happens in baseball. Whereas in 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 basketball, particularly the NBA, there's so many moving parts, and and having them all line up for you on a you know four game in a row basis is is just kind of hard to do. So. You know, it's you know I would on the one hand not be surprised if the Knicks won today to make it four straight and and, and sweep the Celtics out of the playoffs. Equally, I wouldn't be surprised if if the Celtics kind of you know dug deep, uh, managed to put together enough of a consistent game today to, to pull out a, a win, particularly with a lot of pressure being off the Knicks right now with, with the big series lead. You can kind of only see them, um, you know, while they'll be playing with a lot of confidence, also maybe mentally not willing to claw and scratch as much as they were earlier in the series. Well, let's do this, Rich. Let's go to break. And when we come back on the Celtics beat special pregame edition, we'll feature our guest, Taylor Armasino, the blogger for the mellow ship of the ring. Stay with us on Celtics Beat. Hey, Mike Fay from Mike T here, just reminding you about the outstanding shows here on CLNS Radio. Jay King of CelticsTown.com and Ty Ray of CLNS Radio join forces to bring you Celtics Town, King of the Court, every Monday night. If Jeff Green grabs a rebound, run up court with it, just get the ball and work it up the floor and make Tommy Heinsohn proud because I know he loves that style of play. Careless Whispers with Matt Rury and Calvin Shamroin hits the airwaves Tuesday night. You can't compare that to an NBA rivalry where you're going to hate LeBron James for the next seven years and you've already hated him for five years. Tune in for the block party with CLNS Locker reporter Jared Wise and NHL content manager Lee Herman on Thursday nights. I actually really have high hopes for Chris Bork. I'm not going to no. compare him to Ray. And don't forget to tune into the Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. You can find that at CLNS Radio, Celtics Blog, and iTunes. It's invaluable how much Jeff Green 
means to this team right now if he can continue to play this way. That's not all. There are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Celticsblog.com. Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to ELNS Radio. What's new at clnsradio.com? We're striving to make this your first and last destination for all things sports. It all starts with our Celtics postgame show. CLNS is the proud home of the only online postgame broadcast that covers every single Celtics game. Along with Celtics blog, CLNS brings you the Garden Report. It's the only YouTube postgame show recorded on the parquet floor. CLNS Radio's Jared Weiss and Celtics Blog's Jimmy Toscano report on the home games in high definition. And if you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page, you can find raw post-game videos from the Celtics locker room. Stay up to date with us and text CLNS fans to 22838 for free updates from CLNS Radio. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. We're getting bigger, we're getting better, and you can find it all at clnsradio.com. clnsradio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Celtics Speed. Now here's your host, Ty Red. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Celtics Beat. Ty Ray in for Daniel Baker. I'm joined today by my co-host, Rich Tiny. special pregame edition leading up to Game 4 of the NBA playoff series between the New York Knicks and the Boston Celtics. Currently, Boston down 3-0 in the best-of-seven series, and no team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit to win an NBA playoff series. Boston fans hoping history changes starting today. I want to welcome a special guest into the Celtics feed. His name is Taylor Armacino. He is a blogger and host of the website, The Mellow Ship of the Ring. Taylor, welcome to Celtics feed this morning. Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's it's great having you on. And you've been, your family has been longtime Nick fans, so this must be pretty sweet for you right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm only 19 years old, and so and in the late 90s, like 1999, then 2000, 2001, I actually lived in Australia. And so this is really my first time seeing and really following the Knicks closely when they've actually had the upper hand in a playoff series. And it's been actually really fun for me, um, you know, especially given it's the Celtics. And, you know, the Celtics have really dominated the Knicks the last, you know, what, five or six years. And so, you know, given the opponent, it's really been great for me to see. Yeah, there have been some really bad Celtics teams, just so you know, Taylor, uh, in the 2000s that still beat up on the Knicks. No matter how bad the Celtics were, the Celtics seemed to dominate the Knicks. And now the table has turned with the Knicks winning six games in a row. The Knicks won the final three uh, regular season meetings and then have won the first three postseason meetings. So, like I said, this has got to be sweet for you and, and your family. And your family has a long history of being New York Knicks fans. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, my immediate family is not. I mean, I'm from California. I'm from gotcha. the area. And, and, uh, but it's my uncle who lives in uh, New York, and he's been a season ticket holder at the Garden since, I think, like, 85. And so, you know, when I was, before I got into high school and stuff, we used to go back east every Thanksgiving, and he'd always take me to games at the Garden and stuff, and I just, you know, fell in love with the Garden, and I fell in love with the Knicks, even though they were terrible. And so that's really what got me started on liking the Knicks. So what are your impressions of the series so far? How do you think the Knicks have taken complete control and have the Celtics on the verge of elimination? 
Uh, well, you know, I picked the Knicks in six to win um, before the series started, and I think I underestimated really how bad the Celtics are offensively. I mean, I don't want to take credit away from the Knicks. I think defensively they've done a good job of not springing a bunch of holes in their defense, apart from, you know, kind of the first half of game one where there was all those open cuts and all those open corner threes. I think they've done a good job of at least making the Celtics beat them instead of beating themselves. Um, I kind of underestimated how Boston's offense was just going to totally self-destruct without a point guard. Um, you know, two years ago when you guys beat us in the playoffs, you saw when Billups went down, we had Tony Douglas running the point, and, you know, it's a largely the same thing. It's really hard to run offense when there's no point guard. And um, so I think I really underestimated how poor the Celtics would play offensively. Um, again, I predicted the Knicks to win the series, but I didn't think they'd win. Um, for, you know, if they win today, I didn't think they'd sweep. And I, I thought the Celtics would be able to put up a better fight offensively. Now, what do you think of the Knicks' effort at the defensive end? Do you think this is just more Celtics' ineptitude or Knicks' defense making the impact in the series? Well, the Knicks have been a pretty average team all year. I think they finished the year ranked 16th in points allowed per 100 possessions. Um, they haven't really been a good defense. But that being said, I think they've done a good – I think it's a little bit of both to answer your question. I think they've done a good job, as I said, of not – you know, self-destructing in terms of allowing open cutters, allowing a bunch of open shots. There have been a few that Boston hasn't been able to capitalize on, but I don't think it's been, you know, this hapless defense that we saw during the regular season. But that being said, I think the Celtics really have not done themselves any favors. I mean, I really like Avery Bradley as an off-ball, too, but he has a long way to go as a point guard. I mean, just the sheer inability to get them in their sets, you know, especially in game one when they just had turnover after turnover after turnover in the second half. Um, you know, I, I don't think the Celtics are helping themselves at all. Hey, Taylor, this is Rich Conti. I'm just kind of wondering, what's the uh, reaction in New York um, or among Knicks fans about uh, J.R. Smith's suspension for today, and, and how do you think it's going to impact the game? Yeah, you know, I was kind of surprised at the amount of people that were outraged over the fact that he got suspended. I thought um, – Given the way you know the NBA is today, I thought that was pretty valid grounds for suspension. I mean, he very clearly you know swung his elbows up with intent, and so I'm okay with the one-game suspension. And given how the game is going to be kind of chippy today, you know, it's probably not the worst thing in the world that him especially is going to miss the game. Um, how it impacts them today, it'll be interesting. You know, he really is, you know, probably behind Chandler and Carmelo Anthony, probably the third most important guy on the team not only for what he gives them on the offensive end, but because of his, you know, versatility, being able to play the two and the three and even sometimes run the point, he can play in a lot of different lineup combinations. And because his defense has improved and he's not a great defender, but he's not so much of a liability that you have to hide him, um, you know, he can play in a lot of different lineups. And he's usually guarding the other team's best player. It hasn't really been the case as much in this series. But for the most part, you know, he's usually – matched up against one of the team's better offensive players. So it'll be interesting to see today how they fill his minutes. I think with Prigioni back, and you saw the impact that he kind of made in the last couple games, especially game three, um, that'll help a lot. You know, you'll probably see more of the Felton, Prigioni, Shumpert, you know, kind of three-guard lineup rather than just at the start of the game and, you know, parts during the game. You'll probably see more of that. Um, I'm not so much concerned on the defensive end as I am on the offense. I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Boston does if they decide to, you know, send help early at Carmelo and force other guys to beat them, which, you know, if I was coaching the Celtics, I wouldn't do. I would just kind of leave Melo one-on-one and, you know, let him – and kind of what they did in game one which worked pretty well and try and make the other guys around them beat you, and that's obviously harder to do when you don't have J.R. Smith in the game. This is Celtics Beat pregame edition with our guest Taylor Armasino, who hosts the blog Mellowship of the Ring. And Taylor, tell me about your blog. When did you start it? And are you enjoy posting? Yeah, I started it um, probably like two years ago, I think. I think it was right after the Mellow trade. Um, I primarily started it because living in the Bay Area, um, I didn't have a whole lot of Dick's people to talk to. And so I wanted to get into, you know, not only blogging, but just networking with people on the East Coast and then, you know, getting into social media as well where I could talk to other people about the Knicks and stuff. So that's really why I started it. And I really like doing it. And it's been good for me. It's, you know, developing some other opportunities and stuff where I can write on a couple other sites about stuff. And I've met a lot of good people um, who know basketball. And I've learned a ton. Uh, I'm, you know, probably 20 times smarter now 
you know, after, you know, having done this for a while than I was when I first got into it. And so it's been a really good experience for me. As a Nick fan and now embracing that great, rich Nick history, what sticks out for you in your mind about just the Knicks organization and the history of the Knicks? Um, yeah, I, it's an interesting history because, you know, in the 70s they were good and in the 80s it was, you know, whatever. The 90s they were good and then the last decade's been pitiful. What, you know, what sticks out is how, you know, New York really embraces its, you know, its legends, you know, especially the guys from the 70s. I mean, they had a couple nights, not a couple nights, but, you know, a couple weeks ago they had Legends Night at Madison Square Garden when they played the Bucks, and they had they honored one of the championship teams. You had Clyde Frazier there and Phil Jackson and all those guys, and it was really great to see that. And so I think, you know, because the team hasn't really been great in the last decade, the fans really have gravitated towards, you know, the guys like Bernard King and even Ewing and guys like that. And I think, you know, that's probably the thing that sticks out to me is how much the fans really appreciate the uh, old legend uh, that made the Nick organization great. It is hard to believe that it's been 1973. 1973 was the last time the Knicks won a title when you consider the amount of talent that has gone through that organization. No, absolutely. I think, you know, in the 90s, um, they just ran to Michael Jordan. I mean, they, those were consistently pretty good teams, and they just could not get by Michael Jordan. And then the one year they did, you know, they lost – or they didn't get by him. But, you know, he wasn't playing with the Bulls. And then uh, they lost to uh, Houston in the finals. And so um, – and, you know, even now, if you look at the team this year – um, of course, they're kind of running into the same thing with LeBron James being in the conference. And, you know, if LeBron wasn't there, you know, the Knicks are, you know, having as good a chance as anybody of getting to the finals. But, you know, with LeBron being in the fold, it's doubtful whether they're going to get back there at least this year. Hey, Taylor, what's a um, what's success for the Knicks this season in your mind? Uh, you know, is it championship or bust, or, or will folks feel good about a, uh, you know, making it as far as the Eastern Conference Finals, or is it somewhere between those? Well, I, I, you know, for the organization, it, it's kind of funny. If you, you know, if you listen to the team talk, they legitimately think that they can beat Miami. Um, I'm not really sure why they think that, but they legitimately think they can. And so I think for the organization and the players themselves, I think championship or bust is very clearly their goal. I mean, if you look at what they did in the offseason, jettisoning Jeremy Lin, bringing in Raymond Felton, um, you know, they wanted to do – they wanted to – you know, they got all these old guys – it's a win-now mentality, you know, win this season for them. And so if they don't win a championship, I think, you know, the players especially will be, you know, very disappointed. As fans, I mean, I was kind of down on the team coming into the start of the year because, you know, I, you, saw the, you saw the injuries coming. I mean, they've had a rash of injuries this year, mainly because they have, you know, like what, nine of the ten oldest guys in the league. Like, you could see that, you know, having a bunch of these old guys was not going to work out in terms of being able to stay on the court. You know, I picked them to win, like, 46, 47 games. I mean, I really was not high on the team, and they've overachieved. And so, for me, I mean, um, I think, the, you know, the conference finals would be uh, more than a successful season. Uh, you know, given the recent history of the team, winning a first-round playoff series is a huge accomplishment for them. And, you know, if they're playing the Pacers in the second round, you know, they probably should win a second-round series. And so, I think Eastern Conference finals – you know, they don't get completely trounced by Miami. I think that would make for a pretty successful season in the minds of a lot of Knicks fans. What is your feeling, Taylor, on Mike Woodson? I think he's outcoached Doc Rivers in this series clearly because Doc has not made the adjustments necessary, in particular games one and two where the Celtics had the lead uh, after halftime. Are you just thrilled with the job he's done? He seems to win everywhere he goes. Yeah, you know, I, I think Doc's in a tough spot, first of all. And so I yeah, I kind of stick up for Doc a little bit. But I do agree that Woodson has outcoached him, especially in the second half of these games. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really impressed with Woodson this year. I, I wrote about it a couple times. If you think about it um, in terms of coaching, if you just broke down coaching into offense, defense, and motivation, he's been fantastic at two of those three things. The defense has been kind of iffy, but he's redesigned their offense. It's a great, you know, spread, pick, and roll offense where they're shooting a bunch of threes. I mean, they're just doing a lot of really good things. And that was a third-ranked offense in the league, I think, in points scored per possession. So, I mean, they're a really good offense. And then motivation, you know, from day one, he's had Carmelo buying in, which we know obviously is a necessity and it was something Mike D'Antoni really struggled with. 
Um, he's gotten Carmelo to buy in. He's gotten really the whole team to buy into his philosophies and his schemes. And so I think he's done a really good job this year. And, again, one of the reasons I was kind of down on the team coming into the year is I thought it was going to be kind of like game one of this series was all iso ball. You know, they're going to just grind out games. And, you know, that you know, there's a lot of variance when that happens. And so your results can be kind of mixed, especially during the regular season. And there was none of that. I mean, it was from the from the gate. It was just, you know, the spread pick and roll. They shot a lot of threes. They moved the ball beautifully. And so I, I've really been impressed with Mike Woodson this year. All right, Taylor, if people want to find your work, where can they find it? They can find me at mellowshipofthering.com. I'm also uh, contributing over at nicksnow.com, um, fansided's blog, savingtheskyhook.com. I mean, I have a lot of different stuff. Mostly find me on Twitter. I post all my stuff on there. It's at tarmacino. Um, so, yeah, just follow me there. Taylor, thanks for joining us today on Celtics Speak, the special pregame edition. We're about, what, 25 minutes away from tip-off. Enjoy the game today. Yeah, you too, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Hope you come back. Thanks. Rich, that was Taylor Armasino from Fellowship of the Ring. Very, very sharp insight uh, into the New York Knicks. And, boy, at at 19 years old, Rich, there's a lot of long-suffering Knicks fans who have been waiting for uh, an NBA Finals title. And and, uh, it looks like... uh, the young Taylor is not going to have to wait too long, maybe to have a shot at one. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I think in a way, being a young fan like that uh, is is kind of nice. You you don't carry a lot of that. Uh, you know, you're aware of the history and ba- and and baggage of a franchise that's that struggled like the Knicks have, but it uh, doesn't affect you in the same way. You didn't you didn't live through it, and so you can kind of set it aside uh, objectively and and kind of focus a little bit more on what's happening today. And it seems like he sure has his uh, finger on the pulse of the Knicks right now. Isn't it amazing, though? I was sitting here thinking as Taylor was was visiting with us, just how many great players have gone through that organization over the years, and for them not to have won a title in that time in, what, 30 years? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, uh, their drought, um, while longer than the than the 20-some-odd-year drought the Celtics um, suffered through, um, there's, there's a lot of parallels there. I think, you know, just like the Celtics – um, demise was was hastened and and maybe uh, extended by some um, absentee and effective ownership on the part of thanks Dad Gaston. Um, you know I think the Knicks, particularly more recently, um, you know I think a lot of their struggles kind of trace back to James Dolan's ownership and his inability to um, you know basically just hire people that know what they're doing. And I think there's a lot of a couple of parallels between the franchises there. Isn't that so true? You have inept ownership or inept GM. That can set back a franchise for years and years and years. I think about the Clippers. Honestly, I think about the Celtics, too, and, and some of the boneheaded moves they made that had that, you know, had the Celtics uh, in this long, long drought where they just couldn't seem to buy the playoffs or even competitive basketball whatsoever. So you're so right. You've got to have the pieces in place. And to be honest, Rich, that's why I'm very confident that despite – it looks like the KG era may be coming to an end. I'm very confident with Wick and Doc and Danny that this team will be relevant for years to come in Boston. Absolutely. I mean, really, having committed ownership and stable management and coaching are above all the biggest factors for you know prolonged success in the NBA. It's it yeah you need talent to win, but you are never going to get the right kind of talent unless you've got that in place. And it's it's hard to win a championship. I don't just mean hard on the players. I mean hard on an organization. Fans love to to, to pick and choose certain moves and question them when they don't work out. But the reality is that criticism is only valid if there was you know if that move came at the expense um, or at the opportunity of another move that would have worked out. And I think fans overestimate uh, the number of opportunities that are out there for a general manager and a team to construct a championship roster. And so the best organizations are the ones that um, make good long-term decisions, don't overreact to short-term situations, and try to preserve flexibility wherever they can so that when an opportunity presents itself as it did in the the summer of 07 for the Celtics, 
you can pounce on it. And and I look at those qualities and, you know, for all of the, the fans frustration right now with, with Danny Ainge and doc over, over certain moves, um, I feel pretty good because I, I, I think they've done those things. And, and it's really a question of when is that opportunity going to come along to, um, you know, make some move, whether it's stumbling into a lottery pick in a year where, you know, the draft is really strong and has a franchise talent or two, whether it's, you know, having a veterans that are maybe um, still at the peak of their game, but starting on their downside that, that are uncomfortable in the situation they're in and, and ready to kind of make that commitment to, you know, to a, a franchise like the Celtics and that type of team ball, like, like KG and Ray Allen did in, in 07. So, um, yeah, there's no guarantees that, you know, that, that they aren't going to go another 22 years without winning a championship. But if you look at all of the factors that led to that drought um, between 86 and 2008, um, you, you have to feel good that um, uh, those circumstances are, are unlikely to, to occur again. I mean, heck, it took two deaths of, of franchise-level players played a large role in that that drought. And if you think that's likely to happen again, I guess I can't argue with you. Yeah. Speaking of Len Bias and Reggie Lewis, let's do this, Rich. Let's go to the call lines. We're about 20 minutes before the tip off of game four. We've got a couple of callers on the line. Let's first start with 913. Thanks for joining us on the Celtics Beat pregame show edition. Who do we have this morning? Hey, Ty, it's Alex. Hi, Alex. Thanks for calling in. No problem. I just uh, hope I win game today, I hope. I don't want the season to end just yet. Yeah, I hear you, Alex. I've been really trying to be positive today. If you heard me do the post-game show after game two, I just completely went off on the team and was very upset by the team's effort. But you know what? Today could be the last game we ever see KG and Garnett uh, in Celtic uniforms are playing together or playing in TD Garden for the last time. I'm really going to try to be positive today. I'm really going to try to enjoy every moment of this amazing run that this team has had. And, you know, looking back at some of the great memories, I think we really take for granted, Rich, I want to include you in this too. We really take for granted how amazing last year's run through the Eastern Conference Finals was. I don't think we understand how that team incredibly uh, overachieved. And we we let it, I don't know, I don't feel like I enjoyed it as much as I did because, as I could have, just because I was so upset that we lost to the Heat. Your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree, Ty. I think um, you know, over the past week or two, I've heard you um, kind of espouse that 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 perspective of it's okay to be frustrated about the games as they happen, but you know, let's not lose sight of the big picture and and just the the wonderful basketball we've been treated to, you know, in these last five or six years. And you know, it, in a lot of ways, this um, series is starting to remind me of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals in 1988 with the Celtics and the Pistons, where you had you know the Pistons were on the rise and you know had suffered at the hands of the Celtics for a long time and you know that was the series where they broke through against them and and you know were able to beat them and you know it it came with all the chest thumping and the posturing and the theatrics that um you know I guess is is to be expected uh, in those situations and on the Celtics part I think they they look similar you know there's the, the 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 mind is still there the will is still there um it's just Man, the, the you know the body um, you know isn't there to to hold out and and to do things on a consistent basis like it once was, and it's frustrating. But at the same time, it makes you appreciate. Um, what came before and we've been really fortunate these past five or six years and you know honestly just like we were talking about a second ago I don't think it'll be long before we're fortunate again and, and Alex as I as I've said we're on year six of a, what was a three-year plan to win banner 17 and mission was accomplished and really banner 18 might have been accomplished if it weren't for a KG knee injury yeah, absolutely. You know, they uh, they were world beaters in 2009. Early in that season, they looked every bit as good as they did in 2008. The bench was a little bit thinner, so you can question that. But you still had guys like, like Glenn Davis had taken a big step forward that season. Rondo took a big step forward that season, even even Perkins a bit. Um, so, you know, if KG doesn't go down, I think it's it's – um, not a stretch to suggest that they, they were favorites for that championship. And listen, in 2010, they were up 13 midway through the third quarter. 
Yeah. You know, they, you know, if Rashid Wallace could have given them anything, um, you know, that season was a waste for him, and, and it all would have been worth it if he could have given them one good quarter of basketball in, in, in Game 7 that year, and they, they just couldn't get over the hump. Yeah, when you're, when you're playing a Game 7 at Staples Center against the Lakers and Kobe Bryant, there is absolutely no margin for error, especially when it comes to the officiating, and not to blame the whole thing on the officiating, but the free throw disparity in that Game 7 was nuts. Alex, anything else? Yeah, uh, just basically I got some six keys to the game. To oh, okay. Bench, bench play, defense, Executing on offense, be aggressive. You've got to be much more aggressive than the Knicks have been. And rebounding and limit the turnovers. Yeah, uh, all all six of those things are going to be uh, relevant today. Uh, I just would like to see the Celtics protect the basketball, do a better job of protecting the basketball, Rich. And, and I think that they'll have greater success because it seems like every time the Celtics turn over the basketball – the Knicks, the Knicks make them pay. The Knicks always seem to make them pay after every single turnover. Yeah, that's you got to credit uh, the Knicks, uh, and it's um, something they do really well. Is a big part of the NBA has become, um, you know, how can, effectively can you convert those live ball turnovers? And man, uh, particularly in the. Uh, Toward the end of the first half, beginning of the second half, Friday night, it just seemed like every other trip down court, the Celtics were getting stripped of the ball or a pass was getting deflected. And credit the Knicks for the active hands there. And, and like I said, that's a big part of success in the new NBA is generating and, and converting off a of live ball turnovers. And can't argue with any of Alex's keys there. I, I think they're all hypercritical to the, the, the team having success today or really any, any game. Alex, anything else before I let you go? Uh, just we have a Celtics radio recap uh, tomorrow for anyone who would like to listen to with me, Igor, and Daniel, and Jarrett. Great. Can find our information on Weebly Green on Facebook. All right, terrific, Alex. Thank you for being a supporter, as always, of CLNS Radio, and we hope to return the favor to you uh, at Weebly Green whenever we can. Enjoy the game, Alex. Thanks, guys. Yeah, take care of yourself. Rich, like I said, I was going to try to – I'm going to try to enjoy today's game. It's hard. I, I'm feeling rather melancholy. I usually am fired up and energetic uh, game day for Celtics, but I'm feeling a little different today. And I, I'm just really – I'm hoping it's not the end of the KG era, but I, I really – I really think it is, and let me tell you why. It's not because I want it to be or anybody else wants it to be. I think it's because KG will only play if he feels he's playing at the level he's capable of playing. And while he had 17 rebounds the other night, clearly in this series he's not the offensive player that he's capable of being. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, as much as anyone, because he's such a cerebral player, right. he, he can be really prone to that, you know, um, getting overly deliberate in, in his play and actually thinking too much about it. I mean, there were a couple of possessions Friday night where, man, he just looked like he could get whatever he wanted offensively. If they could get him the ball anywhere within, you know, 12 or 15 feet – you know he could he could you know maneuver himself into a good shot off of off of Anthony or sorry off of Chandler or off of Martin. He had a couple of nice uh, jump hooks, but then there were other plays where you could you know see almost like see the gears grinding and and him thinking about okay is somebody going to cut? Um, you know should I make this move? Should I make that move? And and you know that's the the the, the double edged sword I guess of of being such a, a skilled and cerebral player is sometimes you overwhelm yourselves you know kind of going through the options, looking for the best one, really, in that, that desire to make that right play. And I agree with you. If they lose today, I would not be surprised to see this be it for KG. He's been dropping hints since the trade deadline. You know, he, he made that cryptic statement about um, uh, us all not knowing what he knows. Um, right. And he's dropped hints here and there. And I, I'm with you. I think he's one of those guys that just is so passionate about the game and so um, critical about his own performance that he just can't tolerate you know hey listen right now he is still um probably one of the the the, the 10 to 12 best big men in the NBA. I don't think anybody can 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 question that. He's still one of the five most impactful defensive players in the NBA. Um, Without but, question, yeah. But if you look at, at his career and you, and you look at who he is, 
I don't think that's good enough for him. I, I don't think so. I think he has such a level of excellence, and he's not playing at that level right now, be it because of injury or just age. That I, And trust me, I'll take that level. As a Celtic, I, I would love to continue to have him in a, in, a, in a green uniform. I just agree with you, Rich. I don't think he'll tolerate any drop-off in his play whatsoever. Whereas a guy like Pierce, I can still see a role. I can still see a crafty veteran coming off the bench as a scorer. Um, but that'll be a discussion for a different show. Let's keep the, the call lines moving. Let's go out to Mad Dog, who's been holding a while. Mad Dog, thanks for calling into the Celtics Beat pregame show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Oh, just trying to trying to get pumped for Game Four. Trying to get excited. I will say this, and we've obviously had experience in this town. Obviously, with not basketball, but we've had experience in this town both both ways of being up three zero and lo- losing, and being down three zero and winning. And we've seen that, and we've seen this happen in this town. And would it be anticlimactic for it to happen again? And um, I'll just throw a a positive thing out there, if the, if the Celtics can, can win today, then, then win game five, and then get back to Boston for game six, then then you're talking about it. They're, they're right back in, the, in this series again, but that's that's asking a lot of this team, though, to be yeah, able, it, to, to, yeah, be able I, to go and, and do that. Uh, I, I would agree. Today. Uh, I, I think they'll win today. I do, of course. Listen to me, I was the guy that pretty much made the guarantee in Game 3. I thought they would ride that whole Boston wave of emotion to victory and the Knicks would you know, the Knicks would collapse, and that wasn't the case. The Knicks actually had control of that game from the very start, and you knew bad things were going to happen immediately when Pierce missed the lay-in uh, at the start of that game. But I-, I see them winning today. And Rich, do you know the, the stat on this? Has any team ever come back to like even even the series up at three games apiece? After falling down, yeah, I, I don't know for sure. I'm trying to recall any instances. Yeah. Uh, I I would be shocked if it hasn't happened. You know, if you think of the dynamics of a you know of a three zero series, almost you know, most of the time I would expect it to be the team with the home court advantage to go up. Um, you know, to be the ones going up three zero in a series. And so if you look at that, and with Game Six thus being the you know the the team without home court, and then Game Seven being the the you know the the, the favorite again, I would be really shocked if it if it hasn't happened. Yeah, you would think so. I can recall many series. In fact, I remember the Celtics jumped on the Magic in 2010, three games to none, and then the Magic won two games. Uh, and I was starting to get nervous, <laughs> and then the Celtics took care of them. So I mean, you never know. I mean, there's a first time for everything, right? Yeah, yeah. it's um, – oh, sorry, go ahead, Mad Dog. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But um, I just wanted to um, say it actually happened with the Lakers and Nuggets last year. The Lakers went up 3-0 against the, the Nuggets, and the Nuggets won three straight only to lose in Game 7 in Los Angeles. So so it did, it did, happen, it did happen last year. But uh, but just looking at this team and and I didn't want to make this sound this sound like a funeral because it's it's not yet as Scotty said said yesterday the uh, the team to win a series has to win four games not three games so the, the, so if you want to go by that which I'm certainly go go going by that as well but I sort of asked you this the other night Ty and uh, and Rich I would like your opinion about it as well looking. Back at all of the great moments, and I actually the 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 other day was thinking about all 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 of those great 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 moments, and I'm I'm not sure, Rich, if you've ever seen the best sports um, movie ever made in a movie called Return to the Raptors. Have you ever seen that? Great, I have. Great film, and yeah, absolutely. And of course, with 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 um. Your guys' fellow partner on CLNS Radio, the um, Mike Mike the Scotsman Munger, is is a big part of that of, the, of that film. And just looking back at how excited this city was about how great that team was and what they really gave us, coming back from absolutely nothing, twenty four and fifty eight, and sitting there the night. When and you guys probably re, re, remember this as well, when the Celtics did not get the one or two pick, which which would have meant at the time Greg Oden or Kevin Durant, and everyone be, be, being just down, 
everyone thinking that that this that this um this black hole that they were in, they were never going to get out of it. And then it, and then Danny makes the trade for Ray, and and that leads um, Kevin Garnett here after Kevin Garnett. If you guys remember, Kevin Garnett turned down the Celtics the first time. He did not want to come here the first time. And I just look back at it. I look back at 2008 and what a magical year year it was. If it if it was from in the regular season that win that that win at home against the Lakers, and, and the, after the after the previous year with the um, Kobe and the MVP chance to win out in LA when they were having their um, I believe I forget what they were celebrating, but they were celebrating some historical thing out there where they had the short shorts and everything and, and the Celtics go in and steamroll in the Texas Triangle and coming coming back from 24 down in the finals and just obliterating the Lakers in game six in, in, in the garden and from really everything from 2010 and I know that you don't like to go here um, Ty but you sort of went there I, I look back at, the, at that game seven and it it's it just seems like with the Lakers getting twenty free throws in the fourth quarter, I just always think <laughs> about what 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 could, what could have been because I hear you, it, Mad Dog. I, Mad Dog, we're up against the clock because we've only got five minutes left, so I'm going to have to let you go. But no, I'm with you, and I plan on doing a show on King of the Court about great Celtic memories, and if this era truly does end, I, I want to have a show about what, what our favorite memories are uh, during the KG era. So I want you to hold those thoughts and, and give me a call on King of the Court in the upcoming weeks. Hopefully we won't have a King of the Court on this particular topic uh, tomorrow. We'll have one uh, in the upcoming weeks because the Celtics are going to win some games. But i got to let you go. Enjoy the game today, absolutely, man. Absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 and you guys do a, do a great job. And if Ty... If if it was your um, last time on the post game on on uh, on Tuesday, if you 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 did an excellent job this season on the post game. I just oh, wanted to I, throw that out there. I, I much appreciate it, and I couldn't do it without you guys, and and I truly mean that. Thanks, Mad Dog. Enjoy the game. Okay, please greet everyone. That's uh, CLNS. Contributor Mad Dog, who calls into practically every show we do, and we really appreciate uh, his support. Yeah, yeah, Rich. I, I don't want to get into memories just yet, although I've got a, I've got a ton of them, and I think we can do an entire show uh, on that alone. And I hope at some point in time to have you back on, and maybe we can do a show uh, on that. I know you and I both are long-suffering, uh, we're long-time suffering Celtic fans. We're roughly the same age, and it just seemed like an eternity for this team to be relevant again. That's why I'm so fond. People complain about that 2002 team, Rich, and that, you know a lot of people don't like Antoine Walker. I have a very soft spot in my heart for that team for making that amazing run, or it would have been one hell of a drought. <laughs> sure would have. Yeah, I, re I remember that team very well. I was living in uh, the Charlestown Navy Yard back then, and uh, we used to basically walk over uh, to the, the garden and scalp tickets uh, for virtually every home game. And, of course, they were easy to come by that season. And just the momentum that team built through the year. And, yeah, I have a uh, – let's let's say I have I had a, a complex relationship um, in terms of being a fan of Antoine Walker. Started out, you know, his first couple of years, you know, being a huge fan. And then by the end of his uh, tenure here, at least his first go-round with the Celtics, I was one of his, uh, I guess, staunchest critics. But, right. Um, well, he just didn't take care of himself. Uh, yeah. on and off the court and he had such he had such potential I thought to be a 2010 guy be one of the all-time greats and he, instead of working on his post game he settled for the three-point shot he took the easy way out but boy did he supply some great moments that particular season when the Celtics made the run to the Eastern Conference Finals through the Eastern Conference Finals with a very young Paul Pierce and I look back on those days very fondly yeah, it's interesting to look back, particularly at Pierce in those days, and kind of what he's become. And and that was that season, and and that series against the uh, Nets in particular was really his national coming out party. Um, I know he had the big game uh, against LA earlier in that season, where uh, uh, in which Shaq dubbed him with the the nickname the Truth. But that was really where he burst onto the NBA consciousness as you know one of the elite scorers in the game. And and it's kind of interesting to see him now in his role as as elder statesman of the Celtics. All right, Rich, final thoughts heading into game four. We got two minutes. 
Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I kind of agree with Mad Dog in that um, while we may be drafting the obituary, uh, we're not ready to publish it quite yet. Um, you know, I could see this team just having one of those games offensively all of a sudden where, you know, those shots that weren't dropping are now going down and, and they're getting contributions from Jason Terry and Courtney Lee off the bench. And, and you know, they, they, they take this game to go back to New York and who knows what, maybe the momentum ca- carries over. And so um not quite ready to write, quite ready to write them off yet, but um it's, it's going to be, uh, it, Interesting watching the game uh, from an emotional perspective. Um, I'm sure I'll be frustrated, uh, you know, when things don't go well. Um, but at the same time, like you've mentioned several times, trying to keep that perspective and appreciation for all the great basketball we've seen. You've been listening to the Celtics Beat pregame edition on CLNS Radio. I'd like to thank Taylor Armasino, blogger for The Mellowship of the Ring, big Knicks fan for joining us today on the show. I'd like to thank all of our callers. I'd also like to thank my co-host, Rich Conti, who works his magic every time we, we co-host together, Rich, and I, I appreciate the perspective you bring, and I really enjoy uh, working you, with you whenever I get the chance. Likewise, Ty, always a treat, and I just you know love the back and forth and um, uh, how you're able to interweave the, the present day and the historical perspective of the Celtics, and uh, I like to take the same approach, so um, I, I really enjoy our working together. And if we ever do a, a memory show when this era you know finally is over, uh, you can definitely count on me as part of that. Um, it was interesting when Mad Dog brought it up because I started going through my mind of what the, some of the most memorable moments were for me, so I'll be uh, armed for that conversation. Terrific. And everybody, don't forget the post-game show immediately following Game 4 tonight, in the, or today in the Garden. Have a, enjoy the game, everybody.